You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It's December 8th, late Thursday. Thank God we're headed towards another weekend. I'm tired as anything. As you could see by the work we've been doing, we've pre- pretty much covered, gosh, every every major policy issue you could, you could imagine. Um, we're our one-stop shop for all your information on the courts, the courts destroying America, what we can do about it. We're going to keep that going. Um, CRTV. If you guys have not subscribed yet, for $99, you get a full year subscription to all our TV shows, Malkin, Stein, Levin, Crowder. There's more to come, but I can't speak about that. But we are growing. Do not watch Fox News. Actually, this is all I watch. And the the good news is you can watch it anytime you want. You don't have to... Uh, deal with the trashy commercials and nonsense like that. So you just have your one one yearly fee. I already paid mine. Um, yes, I do pay, believe it or not, even though I work here. They're a bunch of cheap conservatives. And I uh, want you guys to do it as well. But great to be back with you. Um, this is, I consider this kind of our town hall, bi-weekly or once a week, often twice a week, where I just kind of unload and and let you know what's on my mind. There's a lot on my mind, and I always have trouble getting to it within a matter of uh, 25, 30 minutes or so. For this purpose, I want to look back at the past month. It's December 8th. We're exactly one month into President-elect Trump. You know, what it means, the good, the bad, the ugly, and what it portends for the future, what it portends for next year. This year, we're pretty much done with. You know, Congress is going to pass a budget bill for the first time that's actually a good thing because just get them out, get it to a new administration. The budget's going to expire next April. That's when we can make our stand on more important issues with a lot more leverage than we're used to and just get them out of here because the truth is they've been passing horrible bills. And just before I get to the overview of Trump and the main topic today, just some housekeeping items. The House just passed, and again, this is as of Thursday afternoon here. Um, By the time you hear this, it could be the Senate will pass it as well. They passed a bill to create a new federal program uh, installing tracking devices on mentally disabled individuals. Um, Why do we need a federal program to help people if they want to track their elderly or disabled relatives or friends. This is very dangerous to get the federal government involved in it. Uh, clearly, there is no constitutional enumerated power to do so. But then again, you know, we've long passed following that. Uh, this is Why are they doing this? And, and the reason why I bring this up is just to demonstrate to you what the agenda is. You know, I look forward to putting out some both public uh, articles and some internal memos to some of my friends in Congress on a winning positive conservative agenda for next year that we could focus on. And you look at the stuff these guys pass, where does it come from? 
it's so random. It's stupid. It's usually liberal. It's usually unconstitutional. Um, and it's nothing you could win an election on or a message to your constituents. It's just dumb. But again, you could imagine, and I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from. If you guys have any insights, tweet me at armconservative, email me. Um, clearly, there's crony capitalism going on here where there's some sort of company that makes these devices and somehow juice the skids here to get Congress to push this last minute. The Senate will probably follow suit, get Obama to sign it as could be the last piece of legislation of Obama's uh, presidency. Unbelievable. One other uh, housekeeping item to end on a positive note, the courts, I have a whole piece on Michigan, the Michigan recount, how federal judges are nullifying state election laws. They have no jurisdiction to do so. They have no power to do so. Um, This is actually a good outcome. This is a good story here. The Michigan State Appeals Court, and again, the difference between state and federal court is that state courts are elected in some form. They said, get off our lawn. Michigan law prevented Jill Stein, the fourth place finisher, from even having standing to sue for a recount, much less under the circumstances she wanted it. Not worth getting into the details at this point. I just want to prove um, they said get off her lawn. It was funny. One of the judges even told Jill Stein's uh, attorney said when when the her attorney was suggesting that, well, the federal court said you have to go through with this, said, you know what? Maybe you could serve the jail time for me for going up against federal court. And I was happy the state judge said that this is what we need more of. I look forward to a lot more detailed articles coming out again, both publicly and also I'm going to pass this on to members of Congress and their staffs, how to fight back against the judiciary. I have about a dozen ideas. I've published an article on eight ideas, but I have a couple more. And uh, this is definitely something we need to do because come next year, when hopefully we pass at least a few good things out of Congress, hopefully the Republican legislatures in 33 states pass some good stuff, the courts will nullify it within weeks. So we got to get the courts right. But anyway, glad to see state courts standing up against federal courts. We need to see more of that. Um, Hope you all liked my video, my Facebook Live on Sanctuary Cities. I hate doing video, but they've drafted me into that in conservative reviews. So if you guys want to see more of it, just let me know. Uh, Otherwise, I don't have much of an incentive to do it because I got a face for radio and podcast. (laughs) But anyway, back to our main topic here. Looking back on what we've seen from Trump, and I'm convinced that when it comes to Trump, you have to throw out your traditional playbook. Typically, after a month of a president-elect, his cabinet choices, his statements, his priorities, you get a good sense of direction where the administration is headed. Because usually, if you consistently say something two, three times, that means you're headed in that direction. The problem is Trump doesn't know anything about policy. He's amoral. He's apolitical. And and I'll, I'll you know, I sound very negative here. I'm going to get to some positive ancillary positives that I think we could benefit from it. But there's no way of gauging where he's going to head. One day, he'll sound amazing on immigration. Next day, just two days ago, he was out there sounding like Lindsey Graham on the Dream Act. Oh, we got to do something for those who came here as children. Um, But it's not indicative of where he's going to head because he always does that. I mean, he says he'll repeal Obamacare, then he praises Canada's health care system. So he just blurts stuff out of his mouth. Some of it he's trolling the media. Some of it 
it's just him. Some of it is because he doesn't know anything about policy and he knows even less about how to message it. So the point is what we what we know so far is that he's very unpredictable. So it's really hard to judge what's gone on. But I think there to the extent you could develop any sort of pattern with Trump, I think there are a couple of patterns that you could glean from the first month and I think there's both problems and opportunities. And that's what I want to go over with you today. You, you take a look at some of his cabinet picks. You know, there's 15 official uh, executive departments, um, you know, and to my knowledge, he has thus far, I think, selected all but Secretary of State. Um, just think off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure, well, no, there's a couple more. I think Veterans Affairs and Interior, which is relatively minor. But um, he's pretty much picked almost all of his cabinet or cabinet level. In other words, there's 15 departments, but then you have, you know, EPA administrator, OMB director, U.S. trade representative, things like that. Um, the guy who heads the Council of Economic Advisors, Small Business Administration. He's picked a lot of those, some of those he hasn't, but he's pretty much filled out the cabinet. Secretary of State is the big one left. And I think one pattern you're seeing, and I've been saying this for months, you divide up conservative priorities into the three legs of the Reagan stool, national security slash defense conservatives, social conservatism, and fiscal economic conservatism slash limited government priorities. Um, when it comes to now, let, let me just say this. As it stands now, we, we have zero, right? Under Democrats, we have zero. Under establishment Republicans, we have zero. They will not fight me- in a meaningful way on any significant level for any of those three legs. I think when you take a look at a guy like Mattis for defense, Pompeo for CIA director, um, Jeff Sessions for Attorney General, Mike Kelly to a certain extent for DHS, Homeland Security. I want to circle back if we have time on, on DHS pick. I think what you're seeing is a tremendous, I don't want to say we have it in the bag, but at least a tremendous opportunity to do good things on the military, on national security, on refugees, immigration, terrorism, that clearly speaks to Trump's relative strength compared to most Republicans. On the other hand, as it relates to limited government, spending, debt, you know, free markets, federal intervention, the growth of federal government, we got some problems. That's where the bad is. So the good is... National security, defense, military, the bad is is limited government, fiscal conservatism. Um, you know, it, these are all his cronies. The the Treasury guy is a is a lifelong Democrat donor. Same thing for the guy um Wilbur Ross, who he chose for commerce. Um, what else do we have here? We got um we got Treasury, we got the, their interior he hasn't picked yet. Um, labor. He just announced a guy today that is a pro-amnesty guy, Andy Puzder. And and again, keep in mind, labor deals with immigration a lot. You deal with all the visa categories, um, and 
even if they don't have direct control over immigration, they serve as the gatekeepers for the globalist, you know, open borders whores, the lobbyists. Historically, it's always been the labor and agriculture departments that have screwed us over. Even during the Reagan administration, the attorney general's office, you know, Ed Meese hated open borders. But, you know, you had the guys at labor and uh, and um, agriculture just just totally messing with us. So this guy, Andy Puzder, um, not our type of guy. There's some really bad quotes. I'm just trying to ring it up as I'm talking here. Really bad quotes from him. He supported the Gang of Eight amnesty bill, which, you know, in my mind should disqualify. But again, this is a schizophrenic nature of Trump's administration. Um, Where are we here? He said, I'm quoting from a Hill article here. Andrew Puzder, a former Romney economics advisor and CEO of CKE Restaurants, said that the Republican Party must be sympathetic to undocumented immigrants. Quote, people vote with their hearts. Our values indicate we should be the party of immigration reform. Many undocumented immigrants live in fear of being deported, losing what they've built and being separated from their families. You tell me how that differs from Obama's cabinet. It doesn't. So again, when it comes to a lot of the economic positions, labor, treasury, commerce, you know, transportation, Big government, federal intervention in transportation. Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife. It, it's it's a it's not a disaster. Nothing I'm surprised about. Social conservatism. You know, we know where he stands. He's not a social conservative, but it's still kind of undefined, and there are some opportunities. So that's the bad. The ugly is the cronyism, right? One thing Trump is consistent with is quid pro quo. Now, sometimes it benefits us, like. You know, he felt he owed Jeff Sessions anything he wanted, so he got him as attorney general. But in most cases, you have a lot of liberal business people around him. And I just want to say something. We talk a lot about the liberal, the the legal profession. We talk a lot about academia and Hollywood, the foundations, nonprofit work. You know, it's just owned by the left. But I got news for you. In recent years, the business community, the business elites have been owned by the left as well. So, you know, all these business associates that he has, they think their entire mindset is antithetical to the kind of America first mentality, the America first populist mentality that propelled Trump into office and that people see rightfully or wrongfully in Trump himself. So, you know, these business guys are going to be a problem, these business associates. And something happened this week I want to draw your attention to. House conservatives led by Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan tried to push for the impeachment of John Koskinen, the IRS commissioner, for covering up, obstructing evidence in the Lois Lerner investigation. They basically erased 24,000 emails, had them destroyed. This guy repeatedly lied to Congress and said that they didn't destroy emails when they, when he already knew about it a couple months prior in 2014. They drew up articles of impeachment. Now, I don't have time to get into this whole article. I'll link to it on the show notes. But my case for why it's so important to make impeachment great again. Uh, you know, even though we're never going to get 67 votes to actually convict and remove the guy from office in the Senate, it's a big deal to have a blot on your resume that you are impeached by the House, right? And that just requires a simple majority, which we have. 
if there was ever a guy that qualified that the people would understand because the, everyone knows about the IRS scandal, it was Koskinen. When you go after some of the lower level officials, not the president, because that's kind of done. We're never going to successfully impeach a president. Um, but but at least the lower level officials, they don't want that headache. Their bully pulpit is not big enough like a president's to punch through that. And by the way, as a separate discussion, this is one of my 12 items for reforming the courts. We need to do it with liberal judges that blatantly publicly speak out against the Constitution as written in contravention to the oath that they um, swore to uphold. We need to impeach judges, too. So this was a great opportunity to strengthen Article 1, strengthen congressional oversight over corrupt officials from the other two branches. And the establishment Republicans led by Paul Ryan and um, Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, they sandbagged this and they voted it down. They undermined first, – first they lied, by the way. They said – to Mark Meadows that if he doesn't bring it up in and Jordan, if they don't bring it up in September before the election, we'll allow you to do it in the lame duck. Well, it's the lame duck and they didn't allow us to do it. But there's disturbing news that I've heard Politico uh, has an article on this, but I've, I've heard this from several members that Ryan worked together with Trump to scuttle this. Now you say, well, what does Trump have to do with Koskinen? Evidently, Koskinen had what to do with him with one of his first major real estate deals in Manhattan back in the 70s. So Trump knows a lot of people, and he knows a lot of liberal cronies involved in fiscal economic policy. The bailout, I call them kind of the TARP bailout, debt ceiling, you know, big Fed coalition. All the big stuff that we don't want, the crony interventionism. Um. So that, you know, he he pushed back. Evidently, Trump did not want Koskinen impeached. So a lot of people in the media are like, yeah, Trump versus the establishment. I'm warning you, especially as it relates to a lot of fiscal issues, it's going to be Trump and the establishment working together against conservatives. So the point is, you take this all in, you look back in totality, there's opportunity and there's pitfalls. We are not going to advance fiscal conservatism for the most part with the Trump administration. It's just that is dead. We need to work on mitigating the bad stuff, just not making it worse, stopping the bad stuff and using him to pass good stuff, to get good stuff on security, on immigration, get him focused on that. You know, I I think of um, Madison's words in in Federalist 45 when he talked about if you focus the federal government on on the things it's supposed to do national security-wise – you know, you wind up getting them off our backs on the other issues. He said the operations of the federal gov- government will be most extensive and important in times of war and, and danger. Those are the state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods, meaning war, will probably bear a small proportion to the latter peace, the state governments will here enjoy another advantage over the federal government. The more adequate indeed the federal powers may be rendered to the national defense, the less frequent will be those scenes of danger which might favor their ascendancy over the governments of the particular states. So I think we just need to keep him focused on terrorism, national security, immigration, and then just get him off of that. And then, like I said, fiscal policy, I think we got to make state legislatures great again. We need to push Article 5. I'm starting to agree with those who said Trump was an opportunity to be this Drano, this bulldozer, to just bulldoze the flush the system and 
we'll get back to conservatism later. But here's the deal. Here's what I want to make very clear where I disagree with people. We should never change who we are. We should never validate his fiscal liberalism. We should fight it. On the other hand, I don't agree with those who just want to sit it out and say, look, he's he, this guy's a dumpster fire. It's like Obama. There's nothing we can do. We have no choice. We got to try to make it work. So that's the thing. There's advantages to Trump. You know, in Proverbs, it talks about, um, you know, the wise man and the fool, how the wise man just cannot talk to a fool because you cannot reason with him. They'll, they'll respond to your reason with foolishness, with scoff and scorn. And that's what I feel conservatives are. Conservatives come with the Constitution, with the rule of law, with logic, with economics. And, uh, you know, the media just destroys us. There is an advantage to Trump that he is such a force of nature. He'll just get in there and pass gas. He'll just distract. He'll drop a bomb. And, you know, while the ensuing chaos is focused on nonsense, maybe we could get the right stuff in. What I'm hoping with is that this administration is going to be very chaotic and decentralized, unlike Obama, where every department head, every agency is a radical leftist. Here, it's going to, it's going to depend. And we got to take the good guys we have, push the policies we can on an executive level, push the good legislation we have. The point is we have to be proactive. We can't be reactive. We have to come in with a positive, plausible agenda that could be achieved and flood the zone, and that will box out other bad policies. And we got to oppose those bad policies. And then we got to just hope to fight another day after Trump when it comes to those policies. And we got to work on some long term systemic reforms um, to ensure that some of the fiscal issues get back to the states and we don't need to rely upon the federal government. Obviously, as you've seen my last several articles, Obamacare is something that we have to fight through, full repeal. Refugees, like we said during last couple of podcasts. But as it relates to administration, I think it's a mixed bag. And there's a lot of quiet opportunities to take issues that he doesn't care about or he doesn't know anything about or he's just indifferent and just flood the zone. Get our guys in there. Get our policies in there. And then the ones where we've lost, um, you know, we, 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 we got to fight pedal to the metal. We got to strengthen Mark Meadows as the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. The I was going to say the conservatives in the Senate that you can count on one hand. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. We got to raise Cain. We can't repeat the mistakes of, of the Bush administration where it takes six, seven years for conservatives to fight back. We have to fight back right away. We can't assume things are going to change. We have to force change. Some things aren't going to change. Um, but I do think if you divide up fiscal economic issues into subsidization versus regulation, I think on the regulatory side, there's a lot of good opportunities. Trump doesn't like regulations. Um, the Scott Pruitt pick, I have an article coming out on that. Scott Pruitt for um, EPA administrator, that is awesome. He's just going to flush out the EPA, although we do have to worry about the courts. And that's why we need judicial reform. I have a piece coming out on that. Check out our website, my homepage, my homepage Conservative Conscience, for those articles. But I think when it comes to subsidization, forget about it. I mean, <laughs> Trump is terrible. He is he he. There's a quote from him uh, in Time Magazine. Where is this? Do I have it in front of me? If I don't, I'll have to put it in the show notes here. Um, but anyway, I mean, Trump is just horrible, 
on stimulus. I mean, many of the same things that led to the rise of the Tea Party. It doesn't all of a sudden become good because a Republican president is pushing it. So, you know, that's the thing. The cronyism, the bailouts, the subsidies, you know, promising favors to corporations to keep them here. That's the problem. We need to focus him on the regulatory side. We need to jujitsu. We need to channel him into where we could make plays that that this is the best we can do. Um, And also the best we can do is vote with our pocketbook. Boycott these phony businesses that push liberal causes and support the businesses that support our values. So for today, I want you guys to go to preparewithcr.com. You'll see our buddies at Patriot Supply offer 140 meals for just 99 bucks. Look, with bad weather coming, all these natural disasters, chaos and everything, you want a steady supply of meals in your home so you don't have to run out in case of disaster to try to scrounge up for food. Like I've always told you guys, I'm not one of these, uh, you know, survivalists, but it's good to have some sort of minimal reserves, you know, at least for anyone. So Patriot Supply, preparewithcr.com, support people who support your causes, your values. So this is another thing we can do. Um, Like I said, I'm going to be coming out with a top 50 or so items divided by issue, winning issues, winning agenda items we're going to share with you. But there you have it, the good, the bad, the ugly. We're good on national security, potential good, bad on a lot of fiscal issues, terrible on the cronyism. But we got to make this work. And making it work doesn't mean acquiescing to it. It means giving him the pat on the back, the tailwinds for the issues that he's with us and the headwinds for the issues he's against us. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening as always. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.